Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, worship here on location, or those of you that are online. Um, we're in a small series on the Sabbath, and a number of people from the first um, hour asked me to actually repeat the sermon from 8 o'clock, so I'm going to do that. So if you're here, actually, for that sermon, uh, it'll probably be new, because I can't really repeat anything. Um, even this morning when we sang our song of, of, of worship, um, I sang a different song. So um, it's going to be hard for me to repeat anything, actually. Um, so let's just ask the Lord, the Lord to bless us, however, when, uh, as we uh, open God's Word and as we study something I hope is very relevant for our time um, together. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that um, you've promised to attend the preaching of your word with your spirit, and you have said that by the foolishness of preaching, you actually can do something in our life that maybe you couldn't have otherwise have done. And I ask for that to happen as I listen to the sermon, as each of us do today, that you would speak directly to us and then through us to others in a world that needs your clarion call. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been in a series here on uh, Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, we have seen that the various elements of Matthew 24 seem to be just kind of occurring in the world around us. Ethnos against ethnos or ethnic group against ethnic group, racial tension. How many have ever heard about racial tension recently? And also um, false prophets. How many of you have heard of false prophets and false prophecy recently? People setting dates and times, and uh, that seems to also be occurring. And then men, men's hearts failing them for fear, betraying one another. We see that happening as well. Lawlessness abounding, it says in Matthew chapter 24. Lawlessness would abound. And uh, actually, decisions, legislation, and interpretation of the laws of the land indicate that in our nation, six of the Ten Commandments explicitly have been, uh, or implicitly, have been denied. And actually, that seems to be accelerating. And we know from Bible prophecy that ultimately... Um, even uh, more of that will happen. And explicitly, we're told that just like in every single one of the things we've looked at in our series on the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, the Sabbath would be a part of that. How many remember the series on the abomination of desolation where we looked at how Daniel was taken captive because ultimately of Sabbath desecration and then Jesus ultimately was killed because they uh, indicated or they thought that he was desecrating the Sabbath. And then during the time of the Antichrist power, of course, he attacked the Sabbatarians as he set up that system in 508 to 538 with Clovis the Frank. All the way through the Dark Ages, all the Crusades would kill Sabbatarians on their way to the Holy Land and back. And then at the end of the 1260, in the French Revolution, there was an attempt to actually change the weekly cycle from a seven-day cycle to a 10-day cycle. So there was an abomination of desolation, a church-state union that worked to actually kill Sabbatarians during that time. And then ultimately, 
we saw as we, in that series as we looked at each of the texts from Daniel chapter um, uh, 11, the last chapter we looked at, that the papal power listed in Daniel chapter 11, verse 30 through 36, would again express itself in chapter 11, verse 40 through 45. It would push against um, the king of the south, against the king of the north. There would be an attack, but God's people would stand firm. And uh, again, the issue was the Sabbath, as we studied in our midweek service. So if you want to review that sermon, you can just go back and listen to it. So today, what is the burden of the message? Well, after it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And then it talks about how people need to flee. They need to get out of the cities. They need to go to Judea. But of course, in the type that happened, no Christian life was lost because they followed the directives of leaving the cities at the right time. Now, we need to talk about that. That's not going to be the burden of the message today, but we will cover that coming up. Then in verse, what is it? Verse 20. It says, pray that your flight not be in winter or the Sabbath day. Abomination of Desolation series showed us that in every single application of that, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, the ultimate abomination was Sabbath desecration that led to desolation. And in this passage as well, we see, alluded to, after the fact, Jesus had died. After he died, he was talking to his disciples that, again, there would be hazards concerning the Sabbath. Of course, um, Matthew was writing after he had, Jesus had passed away, and he's assuming that the Sabbath will be kept um, in this passage. You know, um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, there remains therefore a sabbatismos for the people of God. There remains therefore a Sabbath keeping, literally, for the people of God. And uh, so we want to look at this a little bit more fully now um, in the book of Revelation. But before we do that, just remember that Jesus himself said that he was, Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, or I think it might be verse 8, that he's Lord of the Sabbath. How many remember that? Matthew 12, verse 8. Mark 2, verse 28. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Luke 6 and verse 6. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? Where does John the Revelator say that? <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. Let's look at it together. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. <clears throat> and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Here it is, the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. So each of the Gospels indicate that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Each of those abominations that cause desolation, the big issue at hand is the Sabbath. So when Ellen White of the book Great Controversy says this, it actually is biblically correct all the way from the time of Daniel, the time of Christ, the time of the Antichrist, to the end of time, 
that the Sabbath is always the main point of contention. How does she put it? The Sabbath, Great Controversy, page 605, will be the great test of loyalty, for it is the point of truth, especially controverted. What does controverted mean? Argued about. (laughs) When the final test shall be brought to bear upon men, then the line of distinction will be drawn between those who serve God and those who serve him not. It was true in Daniel's day. It was true in Jesus' day. It was true in the time of the Antichrist. And it is true at end time. The Sabbath will be the main point of contention. So how important is the Sabbath in your life? Do you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on God's holy day? And do you call the Sabbath of the light honorable? And do you honor him not doing your own ways? If you do, then you shall delight thyself in the Lord and you will ride on the high hills of the earth and God will feed you with the heritage of Jacob. What does that mean? Jacob had a character change. He was a supplanter and a cheater, and those that survive at end time will have a character change. They will, in fact, not be characters, but their character will change, and they will be so into God and so into the Sabbath, they would be willing to die rather than break the Sabbath day. Okay, so... Now, with that little introduction, I want to look at something that troubles me. And that is, the Bible says that we'll be, uh, we'll be taken before magistrates and judges, and we'll have to answer questions. How many remember these texts? And we're not going to be able to prepare the then. The Bible says that God will bring things to our remembrance. But if you didn't ever know them, how will they come to your remembrance? So we need to know them, right? That's why we have sermons and we study. And that's why we memorize Bible texts, so we don't even have to have our Bible particularly with us to be able to answer the questions. But how is it that you would... How is it that you would defend this idea of the Sabbath? And how would you even say that the Bible's talking about the Sabbath... Um, if you were questioned about it. Look with me in Revelation chapter 13. And it talks about where this showdown comes down in the area of the Sabbath. And in Revelation chapter 13, there's two beasts. The first beast is in chapter 13, verse 1 through 10. All the Protestant reformers and historicists, as well as the Advent movement, which is a historicist movement, which means it believes that Bible history... The history of the Bible fits with the events in history. Believe that these verses, verse 1 through 10, have to do with the papacy. That would arise, would cause all the world to wonder after the beast. And this is exactly what happened in the Dark Age period, in the 42-month period that's mentioned here. 42 months times 30 is 1260. During the 1260-day time period, this is exactly what happened. And uh, they caused all the world to worship, but then their deadly wound, they would receive a deadly wound, 
And what happened in the French Revolution and in 1798 was that the Pope was actually taken captive. And when we go on our Reformation tours, which we're unable to do this year, we actually go to one of the places that that Pope, when he was taken captive, was staying as he was taken into captivity. We didn't even know it, but we went to this place and we were looking in the rooms and there was this, this papal insignia, I think it was on the French border there, I can't remember exactly where it was, I've got a picture on my phone. And I'm looking there and I look at that and then I read, actually I had Deutsch and Mr. Eight Languages read, and Deutsch translated it for me and it actually, actually the Pope had stayed there when he was heading off and he ultimately would die in captivity and this was the deadly wound. They thought the papacy was dead. But, it says in Revelation chapter 13, what is it, verse 4? That that deadly wound would be healed. Yeah, verse 3. Sown of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound would be healed. And all the world would marvel and follow the beast. So there would be a resurgence of Catholicism after it went down and then it would become a worldwide power that was in the midst and the middle of discussions, political, economic, and all these things. Has that happened? No one would have thought that would have happened back in 1798. They would have thought, that's it, it's not going to happen. But now everybody's like, what does the papacy say? What does the Pope say? It's like prophecy has been fulfilled, this deadly wound has been healed, and then we have the prediction in verse 11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So this is not the papal power, but another power, another beast or nation comes up out of the earth and he has two horns like a lamb and spikes like a dragon. So this particular power comes out of an unpopulated area. Revelation 17, 15 says that the seas are like peoples, nations, multitudes, but an earth area or the earth would be unpopulated. This power comes up sometime around 1798 out of the earth, has two horns like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. So two-horned beast, and of course those who have looked at this, it says, you know, what country had a differentiation of powers, had a Republican system, not Republican-Democrat, but a republic with being a legislative and an executive and, and a judicial, how, how, what kind of power came up? And they point to, of course, America, that came up with the Christian idea of freedom of conscience, not having people worship because of coercion, but because of conviction. And they came up at that time period. It was Christ-like, but then it says it would speak ultimately like a dragon. All of those things would be called into question, begin to be shaken, there would be upheaval, there would be <laughs> lawlessness that would come in, and basically... America would start to lose its focus. And as a result, it would come together with this moral power being the papacy and would cause there to be coercive religion, verse 12, exercising all the authority of the first beast in his presence, causing the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So causing someone to worship with authority and power that's not um, through conviction and compassion and love. That's coerciveness causing the world to do that. And worshiping anything else other than God is breaking what command? 
Commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Secondly, would say that he would make an image, verse 14, to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. What's the second commandment? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, thou shalt make any likeness of anything in the heaven above or the earth beneath. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, but showing mercy unto thousands of them that do what? Love me and keep my commandments. So by definition, this power will do something in raising the image of the beast that goes against God's law of love. How many can see that that makes sense logically? So whatever that image is, it goes against those who love me and keep my commandments. So there'll be some kind of legislation, some kind of activity that actually goes against God's law. Now, is that happening in America today? Is there legislation? Is there interpretation of legislation that's going against any of God's laws? In our series, we looked at that time. Lawlessness will abound, and we see that that's happening, right? Now, of course, in a pluralistic society, we don't rule by the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> you have freedom of conscience. You're free to believe or not believe. However, most of the country is now tending towards, or at least it appears in terms of leadership, <laughs> of the courts and the legislative bodies, not being that, that not going towards uh, at least Ten Commandment belief. Yes? But ultimately, there could be a law that's explicitly against it. We try and get around it now. Um, and there's cutouts, and there's actually promising decisions this last week from the Supreme Court in some of those areas. So we still have time to preach and to teach. Some, some of the stuff I tell you is, would be considered hate speech if I'm in Canada and other places. I, I, I'd be you know, probably taken off the pulpit, right? <laughs> um, but we still have that. I can say hallelujah. So commandment number one, commandment number two, commandment number three, it says there at the end of the chapter, it says that... that uh, here is, or verse 17, no one may buy or sell except for one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Well, it talks about the number and the name. We can, we'll talk about the number some other time, but the name. What commandment is that? First one, thou shalt not have other gods. Second one, thou shalt not make an image. Third one is what? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not home guiltless that taketh his name in vain. This is the third commandment. Let me ask you a question. Commandment number one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, and ten. Do any of them have God's name in them? No. There's only one commandment that has God's name in it. What commandment is it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. So the only, only commandment that has the name in it is the Sabbath. And when we accept any other name, like is being suggested here, you have to have the mark of the beast or the number of his name, that's a direct attack on what commandment? How many think this is kind of interesting? Image 
actually related to the commandments. Taking the name of God in vain, actually related to the Sabbath commandment. And then comes the next one, which we read in our scripture reading today, or someone read for us. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast supposed to speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, both great and small, great, rich, poor, free, and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So, commandment number one, no other gods. Commandment number two, graven image. Commandment number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Commandment number four would, would actually logically come next, right? So, causing the world to worship, an image, take the name in vain. And then Mark would probably go with what commandment? Fourth commandment. Logically. But you know, that's kind of flimsy. I think we need something more explicit. How many think we need something more explicit than that? You're, 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 you're before a judge, and you're ready to die for your faith. And he says, you know, why, why are you doing this? And you say, well, you know, I've got these quotes that say there's this power that says that this is his mark of authority, and I've got these history quotes, and this and that. And he goes, hey, that's all you got? Um, how many think you might need something more than that? I'm trying to help you with a Bible study that you would be giving, and I hope it comes to your mind when you have to give the Bible study, right? And I've actually shown you from the text, not historical statements, but how the commandments themselves, all the vertical commandments are being desecrated, right? But I want to look at that phrase with you today, right hand. Two words. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Right hand. Have you ever heard a sermon on the right hand? Let's look at the right hand together. Because when you understand the idea of the right hand, you will see that it makes what appears implicit explicit. It makes it plainly seen. Let's look together. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 32. And verse 17. All Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched hand. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to the thousands and repay the iniquity of your fathers. So you have here pictured the Lord making what? Heavens and the earth by his great power and outstretched what? Arm. Well, what arm is it? Is it the left arm or is it the right arm? Look with me in Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 48, and let's look together at it. Isaiah chapter 48, and verse 13, starting verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my, and my what? Right hand has stretched out the heavens, and 
When I call to them, they stand up together. So what hand was involved in the creation and the foundation of the earth and, and the heavens? The right hand. The heavens declare the glory of, the, of God, and the earth showeth forth his handiwork. But especially the right hand. How many of you are starting to get a little more excited about this right hand? So the right hand, then, is the hand of creation. You see why the devil might want to attack the right hand at the end of time? He might want to attack the doctrine of creation. Let's keep going in our study. Exodus chapter 15. Genesis. Exodus. Ex-hodas. Ex is out. Hodas. The metered measured way out. We get the word odometer from that. The How did they get out? Powerful message here in chapter 15. Then Moses and the children of Israel, verse 1, sang this song of the Lord, um, song to the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I was reading, not singing. Okay? Um, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord, my God, my strength and shield has now become my victory. So he's my strength, he's my song, he's become my salvation. He is my God, I will praise him, my Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also has drowned in the Red Sea, are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, they sank to the bottom like a stone. Go back to chapter 5 of Exodus. Why was it that they were led out of Egypt? Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to told, and told Pharaoh, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a Shekag to me in the wilderness of feast. And Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord? Who is the discriminating judge of the earth that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let him go. I'm God, he's not God. And so they said, Elohim of the Hebrews has met with us, the relational God, the God who comes into our presence and said, please let us go three days into the desert to sacrifice to Yahweh, our, the one we're in a relationship, the Yahweh Elohim, lest he fall on us with pestilence. <laughs> Or with the sword. It's going to protect us against the coronavirus. Let us go. <laughs> you didn't listen, and there was all kinds of plagues that came. Remember this? And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many. Um, no, verse 4. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them what? Literally the word is Sabbath. You make them Sabbath from their work. The only day in contention was the Sabbath day. We don't want to let them go to keep the Sabbath day. And so God, through Moses, said, it's time to get out. Come out of her, my people. 
come out. There's an abomination of ultimate desolation, Sabbath desecration. God heard your voice, Exodus 2, 23, groaning. Your cry came out, oh Lord, how long? And I'm entering in through Moses as a type of Christ, according to Acts chapter 3. And Moses, or Christ himself, will come and lead you out of Egypt because of the abomination that's causing Sabbath desecration. And in Exodus chapter 15, we see that that's happening. Go back with me. Exodus chapter 15, we just read verse 1 through 5. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. But look at verse 6. How does he lead them out? Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces and in greatness and in your, of your excellence you have overthrown those who rose against you and you sent forth your wrath and have consumed them like stubble. What was it that led them out? The arm of redemption. First of all, it was the arm of creation. But now, it's the arm of redemption. And by the way, isn't that what the Sabbath is all about? To remind us that he is the creator. For in six days the Lord made heaven. And that he's also the redeemer. Didn't his disciples rest after he died according to the commandment? Let's keep reading. Fascinating. With the blast of your nostrils, the waters would gather together, verse 8. The floods stood upright like the heat. The depths were congealed, the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue and overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Time of persecution. Time of death. Decree. But you blew with your wind, and the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Yahweh, among the Elohim, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out, verse 12, your right hand. And the earth swallowed them, and in your mercy you've led them forth. The people who are, you have what? Redeemed. See, there it is, redemption. You guided them, your strength, to your holy habitation. The people who here are afraid, sorrow has taken hold of the inhabitants of Philistia, and the chiefs of Edom are dismayed, and mighty men of Moab, and trembling has taken hold of them. And the inhabitants of Canaan melt away, and fear and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. By the way, in Daniel 11, Edom, Ammon, and Moab actually come back to the fold. They actually see the ensign. They see the Sabbath, it says in Isaiah chapter 11. And those relatives of Abraham, Abrahamic faith, come back to the fold because of the preaching of the Sabbath message. We covered that on Wednesday night. And here they're alluded to even in advance. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. What does it say in Daniel 11, verse 40 through 45? There is the glorious land and the glorious holy mountain. This is God's remnant people always throughout history. The glorious holy mountain. And in Revelation 14, his people are pictured on the top of the mountain singing, 
singing, and they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. How many can see this is kind of fascinating? Already, way back in Exodus. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling place, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Not only to be people of the Sabbath, they'll be the people of the sanctuary. <laughs> How many of you are thankful to be the people of a sanctuary message? And not only that, a health message. Look at verse 26. <laughs> he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the, the Lord who does what? Heals you. You want to be a part of a movement that's to heal a hurting world? then join a church that has the Sabbath message, that has the sanctuary message, because it also has the health message. And this is where we get this metaphor, or where Ellen White got the metaphor. What well, is the metaphor? That the medical missionary work is the right hand of the gospel. Doesn't she say that? Medical missionary work is to be the work of the church as the right hand is to the body. The right hand is connected with the body, so health reform. And medical missionary work is connected with the third angel's message and is to work efficiently as the right arm for the defense of the body of truth. So the God of creation and redemption actually knows how to heal. Can you say hallelujah? And if you follow his principles... Of health, Genesis 129, Leviticus 317, 129, fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. Leviticus 317, no fat, no blood. <laughs> Leviticus 11, no unclean animals, only clean animals if you eat those. But better than that, go back to the original. These are all right hand. I'm not even thankful for the right hand. How many can see why the devil at the end of time wants to attack the right hand? Mark you in the right hand. And then the four, how many can see that? Is it begin, be, beginning to come clear? It's going to get hopefully clearer. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Duo, Nomos, the second giving of the law, Deuteronomos. Now this is the blessing which... Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Last will and testament, Moses, a type of Christ, and he says this, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with 10,000 of saints. Now, underline this in your Bible, from his what? From his what? I hope some of you are looking things up today. <laughs> From his what? Right hand came a what? Fiery law for his people. What? God wrote the law with what hand? His right hand. Can you say hallelujah? So he's the God of the right hand. He's the God of creation. He's the God of redemption. But mark it. If you have your Bible and you mark, the weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. What's the next verse say? 
Yes. He loves the people. All the saints are in your hand. What hand? Right hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded the law for us and a heritage. How many can see this is beautiful? So the Sabbath is not just the, a doctrine of creation. It's a doctrine of redemption. And ultimately, it's the doctrine of love. If you love me, keep my commandments. And if you love me, my commandments will actually keep you. <laughs> By the way, I don't think you can keep the commandments, but God can, because if you're in his hand, he writes them on your heart and in your mind. Because you say you're my creator, you're my redeemer, I'm so grateful. What do you want to do? I want you to have love in your heart and in your mind. How am I getting excited about the right hand? <laughs> now, what did he send from his hand? A fiery law. How many sets of the Ten Commandments are there actually in the Bible? How many times are they mentioned? Twice. Once in Exodus. And where's the other one? Deuteronomy, right? It's interesting. They're similar, but let's look at the Let's look, since we're in Deuteronomy, back in chapter 5, at the second giving of the law. Deuteronomos. And as we already know from our previous messages, the biggest thing God wants to do from Old Testament to New is write his law in our hearts and minds. That's the new covenant, but let's look here. Especially as it relates to the right arm. Observe the Sabbath day, verse 12. To keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger with your gaze, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you, because remember, you are a slave in the land of Egypt. The Sabbath is the foundation to do away with slavery, racism. Did you know that? Giving rights to workers, that's the Sabbath commandment. That's not our issue today, but I'm just pointing that out as you go, as we go. And then it says why. What does it say? You were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a what? A mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What arm do you suppose that was? What hand do you suppose that was? Do you have to guess at this point? You know that it was the right hand. How are you beginning to see why it is that the devil attempts to mark people in their right hand? Or in their forehead? Is it becoming more explicit? You see throughout the Bible, Zechariah chapter 3. Verse 1. Throughout the Bible, Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. We're just having a little Bible study today. And uh, it does help to bring actually printed Bibles maybe. I don't know. Maybe electronic Bibles. It's good, I guess. I have both here, but I'm using my printed Bible. 
week. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his what? Right hand to oppose him. Luke chapter 6, verse 6, just remember, you know, we don't have to look there, but I'll just tell you, Jesus really got into healing people. But one of the people he healed in Luke chapter 6, verse 6, was a man who had a withered what? Right hand. Because he knows that right hands can be corrupted. Psalm 26, verse 10. Psalm 26 and verse 10. Look with me in Psalm 26 and verse 10. 9 and 10. Do not gather my soul with sinners or my life with bloodthirsty men whose, in whose hands is a sinister scheme in whose right hand is full of bribes. The devil tries to corrupt the right hand message of the church through various means. Psalm 144. Psalm 144. Verse... Seven, stretch out your hand, your hand, which is the right hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of great waters and from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words, whose right hand is a right hand of what? Falsehood. Verse 11, rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose, right, whose mouth speaks lying words and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. This doesn't not mean that Jews were against foreigners, the stranger was within their gates, the mixed multitude left Egypt, but they were put in a certain place so they wouldn't corrupt those within the camp until they were converted. Because they didn't want the right-hand ministry of God to and then through them converted. Because, make no mistake, God's right-hand ministry is not only supposed to go to you, it's supposed to go through you. How many of you are part of God's right-hand ministry? I should see some right hands going up. How many of you have right hands? How many want to be a part of God's right-hand ministry? <laughs> I sometimes miss preaching in an African-American church, um, which I used to in Chicago. I mean, you were just carried along by the amens. Amen! One sister would say amen even before I said something. Anyway, that's dangerous because it means let it be. I could say something wrong. So, if your right hand's offend you, Jesus says, cut it off. <laughs> Better for that to go than you go to hell. Pure right hand ministry that called people out of Egypt and sent them to the promised land. I believe, brothers and sisters, that we're on the verge of Christ's coming. Amen. And I believe that there's a picture of the people in Revelation chapter 10, if you want to turn there ahead of me, that actually starts with a picture of an angel, a mighty angel, that has his foot on the land 
And on the sea, the final Red Sea, and the parting of that sea, then pictures of people, I better turn where I'm talking about, <laughs> pictures of people that are on the final exodus. And that final exodus is Revelation chapter 10, all the way through 22. And we're living in Revelation 14 and 15. Look at it. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. It's the same angel that Pastor Rich was talking about in his remarks. This is Christ, the angel of the covenant, the messenger of the covenant. He had a little book opened in his hand. What book was that? Daniel that had been closed, but now it's open. The only book that was closed now open. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice. Go down to verse 5. And the angel who I saw standing on the sea and the land raised his what? His hand. Literally, in some manuscripts, guess what hand it is? His right hand to heaven. The Advent movement is a movement of the right hand. And swore, verse 6, by him who lives forever, who, who did what? Created heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be what? Kronos, no more. There will be a people at the end of time. There will be a church at the end of time that's preaching Daniel 2 and saying that we're living in that time, the days of these kings. He'll set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And they'll look at Daniel 2, verse 43 and 44, and they say, look, he is setting up that kingdom in heaven, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There'll be a people preaching Daniel 7. That there's going to be a dark age period, but then there's going to be a judgment. And they're going to be preaching that the hour of his judgment is come. And they'll be preaching Daniel 8. The cleansing of the sanctuary. And they'll be preaching Daniel 10 and 12. They'll be preaching all the prophecies. And what is that message? It is a right-hand message that there is time no more. Their message will not be of time excitement. It will be of the end. Time is not near. It's here. That's what they'll be preaching. And there'll be a people that believe in the message of creation, that believe in the message of redemption, that believe in the message of love. How many are excited to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? It's a right-hand message. It causes all the earth, great and small, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or their forehead. But there will be a group that does not receive the mark in the forehand 
I mean, in the, in the right hand or the forehead. It's a new word, the forehand. So there will be a group. There will be a remnant group, just like there was in Daniel's day, just like there was in Jesus' day, just like there was in the time of the Reformation. There's going to be a group of people that say, not my hand and not my head, because God has my heart. How many want to be a part of that group? Let's look at some texts as we close. Isaiah 63, verse 12. Isaiah 63, verse 12. Beautiful text. Isaiah 63 and verse 12. By the way, I'm going to preach next week on Isaiah 58, Sabbath text. We need to spend more time thinking about the Sabbath. But let's look at Isaiah 63. Then he remembered verse 11, the days of old, Moses and his people saying, Who is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit with them? (laughs) When they left Egypt, the Holy Spirit was with them. At the end of time, there's going to be a loud cry. There's going to be a louder rain. The Holy Spirit will be with God's people as they come out of Babylon and call people out of Babylon, and they'll be so into God and he'll be so into them that people will actually listen to the message. Who led them? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? Who led them by the what? Right hand of Moses. And then notice what it says. The right hand of Moses. But what does it say next? With his capital glorious arm dividing the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name. That is the same leader who is leading the Advent movement today. That is the same leader who is leading the Advent movement today. Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, when I saw Jesus, John the Revelator says, I fell at his feet as dead. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He didn't have a congregation. He was in Patmos. And yet God was still with him in that palace in time called the Sabbath. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his what? Right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first, I'm the last. I have the keys of Hades and of death. In other words, even if you are killed for right-hand ministry, don't worry about it. I can not only heal right hands, I can raise you from the dead. There'll be a time when you will either believe that and fear God, or you'll fear the beast and you'll give it all away. How many want to fear God? Give him glory. 
And what is the secret to this? Psalm 16. What a great Psalm 16 is. One of my favorites, Psalm 16. Look at it with me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My, my goodness is nothing apart from you. It's your righteousness, not mine. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer nor take their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance, my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh also will what? Rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have shown me, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. How many think that can start right now? Amen. That's what the Sabbath is. It's a picture of pleasures. A Shabbat Honeg. Isaiah 58, an exquisite delight. <laughs> I will cause you the heritage of Jacob. Psalm 77, another one of my favorite psalms when I'm working with depression recovery. It shows the steps down to depression and then the steps out of depression. But I love this text. Psalm 77, verse 10, talking about what God can do. And I said, this is my anguish, the deeps of despondency. But then what brings him out? There's a number of I will statements, five of them in the, in the way. And that's why Ellen White says, everything depends on the right action of the will. I will, I will, I will, I will. And this is the first I will. I said, this is my anguish, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm going to remember what he did. I will remember, verse 11, the works of the Lord. He's the creator. I will remember your wonders of old. He's the redeemer. He brought us through the Red Sea. I will meditate on your work. It's not enough to look at the tree. I'm going to med meditate about not the tree, but he who made the tree. I'm not going to meditate just on the creation, but the creator. And I will talk of your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You're the God who does wonders. Even the depths were afraid of you. Verse 16. That's talking about the Exodus. Your way was in the sea. You led your people like a flock. Verse 20. By the hand, right hand, we might say, of Moses and Aaron. How many can see how powerful that psalm is? Last text. Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Psalm 98. 
Oh, sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness. He has revealed in the sight of the nations. Shout joyfully to the Lord. At the end of time, the devil will attempt to obliterate God the Creator, God the Redeemer, and give a distorted picture of God's love. But there will be a people that are a right-hand people. What do you do if you go to a deal and someone says, let's shake on it, and they put forward the left hand? You're going, something fishy about this. Nothing against left-handed people. But you're going, something fishy about that. Give me your right hand. The right hand was the hand where they wielded the sword. Where they would cut you and kill you, but they're saying, no, I'm not going to cut you. We're cutting a deal. We're making a covenant. And the Sabbath is God's covenant with God, with his people. When he extends the Sabbath to you, it's like he's extending his right hand of fellowship. And he's saying, enter into the Sabbath. Enter into the Sabbath. I entered into it to create you. I entered into it to redeem you. Look at my hand. It has a nail print in it reminding you that I'm the God of covenant. Don't make false covenants that will go away, like it says in Isaiah 28. Don't do that. Come to the God of the right hand. I stand at the door and I knock. Open the door and come in and sup with me. I'm the God of the right hand. How many want to raise your hand today and say, look, I want, I, I want, to, I want to be with the God of the right hand. I want to be with the creator I want to be with the Redeemer. I want to be in His love. I don't want to keep the Sabbath because my parents told me to. Because the code book told me to. I want to do it because you created me. You redeemed me. You love me. You're carrying me. I want to call the Sabbath a delight <laughs> because it's an expression of your right hand of love. Not only that, I want to heal a hurting world. 
I want to be a part of your right-hand ministry. How many think we need to study more about the Sabbath? Next week we'll look a little deeper. I'm excited. I, I was going to preach another message right now, but like I said, some people said, man, preach that again. So I did. And frankly, I wasn't quite ready for the second message either, to be totally honest. But I know God's going to bless it. Isaiah 58, we're going to look at that. So read Isaiah 58 for next week, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're the God of the right hand. And your hand has been stretched out still today to us. We're in a time where we recognize all of the events mentioned in Matthew 24, at least coming to remembrance in our minds. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We're in the last phase of that as we studied. And part of that is this false Sabbath that will come versus the true Sabbath. And so... When the time comes, when it's going to be difficult, we want to have already made a decision to put our hand in the hand of our our Creator, you, our Creator and Redeemer. We We want to be in the midst of your love, not some faulty definition of love that swirls around us in this culture. So come into our hearts. And into our minds, we, we, we stretch out our hands to your outstretched hand. And we ask you to lead and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.